The Past Podcast is sponsored by SousVTools.com, the home of all your sous vide and modernist cooking equipment for both professional chef as well as all you budding home cooks. Visit SousVTools.com and enter The Pass. And I'm just going to clarify that's all one word and it's all in capitals. So enter The Pass at checkout and you'll receive an exclusive discount for all The Pass Podcast listeners. That's nice, isn't it? So I came and did a, a recce earlier because I've not visited before and I didn't, I'd obviously seen pictures online, I didn't quite realise how grand and beautiful the, the space yeah. is, especially being in a, a room like this. Yeah, this is uh, like the chairman's, one of the chairman's office from when this was Pearl Assurance, like way back 100 years ago. Um, and there's three rooms and they're named after the three different chairmen. So we're in Sir James at the moment, but they've kept them exactly as they were. So it's like all the way through the building, there's little sort of touches that are still original parts, which is really nice. Thank you very much. I'm always amazed by the, the checkers. I think I kind of tried to match you today. That's great. <laughs> That's good. Now we've got time for that. I think we've gone the wrong way around. That was yours. Uh, ginger beer would be great thanks bro no alcohol between services Calm. no it's really not a good idea (laughs) (laughs) so I take it you'll have just more or less finished lunch yeah so actually at lunch today I was out the kitchen I was in another kitchen and we were testing out some things before we got a menu change on the 1st February and I just wanted to we're most of it's actually fine-tuning. We have kind of like six or seven new dishes. There's a new year, and I was like, it's time for us to kind of reevaluate all of the dishes that we have. They're sort of like, and that's a classic. We've only been on four years, but there's certain dishes that we just, we assume they're great. But you can always look at them with fresh eyes, right? So we sit down as like a senior team and go through, break down each dish and what annoys us about it. <laughs> And because after time, you know, there's always things that you want to change, and but you're like, do we change it? It's a classic. No, I think it's always good to keep things fresh and move forward. Um, so yeah, there's been a lot of trialing and testing the last couple of months. I've uh, spoken to a lot of chefs about that actually, because I I kind of have this thing in my head of like, you don't want to spoil the milk. If yeah. you see what I mean, if you've got a dish that works, why why change it? Do you see what I mean? Yeah, but I do think it's important to like look at it with fresh eyes every now and then. Especially, I mean, I have seven senior chefs in the kitchen, so amongst us, we've got kind of quite a few years' experience. So, so I find sometimes people might be being coy or shy about, you know they thought it was a better way to do something I haven't said it so we sit down in a sort of round table once a week and we break down the whole menu and go through it and I always say to people imagine look at the menu and think about when your mum comes for dinner and what you wouldn't want her to order you know the weakest dish on the menu and that's the first thing that we tackle and that's always the way we look at it it's a good kind of critical way I think yeah that, that, that's quite interesting does it do different people kind of have different opinions then in that situation or is there normally sort of one that you can all agree actually yeah that is the one yeah we just had a fight just now <laughs> we, were t- we were testing aioli recipes and um, I 
I want the the new aioli that we're doing to be quite smoky for the dish that it's on. So we put some paprika in it, and we just had a kind of little fight amongst <laughs> ourselves about that. But it's you know it, if you're in it's I'm mean, not saying it's a full democracy. It's my menu, you know. But I I fully see the importance in in using other people's opinion because. We're, you know, we're cooking for sort of eight hundred to a thousand people a day, so just going on your taste buds is kind of silly because you have to look at a broader picture, right? Um, and uh, yeah, that's why we do what we do. I suppose it's it's nice to have those the trust mm. in the people around you as well that they can criticize you or not criticize is probably the wrong word, but they can challenge you as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we're. We're four years old as a restaurant, so we're still we're still finding our way. And I say that I don't just say that to the senior chefs; I say that to the younger guys in the team as well, all the time. You know, if you do something day in day out, and you think there's a better way of doing it, then say something because we need to improve all the time. We need to find better ways to do things. And uh, you know, I worked I worked in restaurants throughout my career that was cemented and they've been there for a long time you did it that way you didn't question it that didn't mean it was the best way right um, so that's why we're a bit more open about that so my guest today is Callum Franklin thank you so much for having me along I'm here at the Holborn dining room and it's really brilliant to be here I've always already commented on the fantastic scene fantastic uh, atmosphere downstairs it's, it's amazing What's sort of been the highlight for you so far of your of your time here? Uh, I, I mean, there's been a lot the last few years. Uh, I mean, to, honestly, the biggest thing for me at the moment is the the staff retention that we have in the kitchen. I think it's a massive sort of talking point in London uh, about people struggling with staff and we're a large restaurant we have 35 chefs in wow. the kitchen and we've been fully staffed for a year now um, and we don't have sort of many comings and goings in the kitchen that's quite impressive actually yeah and that's down to lots of different things uh, we looked at things we kind of sat down a couple of years ago and looked at what we all thought were the issues for us with holding on to staff and even attracting new staff because I'm not a big name right mm. so it's not like people will just come because it's Callum Franklin so uh, what else do you offer so you offer a nice working environment for people to be in and I think we have that we have a sort of friendly team atmosphere uh, we all give each other a hug in the morning uh, which I quite enjoy I probably do that more than I should do that's under your insistence yeah <laughs> hug me now um, or you're fired. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. But you go on, you're not fired. No, it's like... We're, we're actually I, sat now and he's just holding, <laughs> holding me. No, I think it's, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're prepared to give up most of your time to come and work for me, then in return I'd like to offer an environment where you're happy to come to. And, yeah, and a hug as well. Um, I, you know, I... I mean, most chefs have worked in places where... You don't. You definitely don't have that. Mm. And I've never woken up in the morning and not wanted to go to work. But I have, uh, you know, been fearful of what's going to happen during the day, and that's not healthy, right? And and there's so many good restaurants now in the UK. 
you can't do that. You, yeah, you beat me to my next question. I was going to say, especially in London, mm. you know, you can walk two minutes down the road and there's another restaurant. So it's almost like you have to create that atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and the second thing we looked at was what would make a chef stay, right? And for me, when I was younger, it was about what was I learning, right? So if you by the time you want to move on to somewhere, it's generally because you feel... You know, you, you've either sort of maxed out or you're just, you're not going to go any further in that kitchen. So here, we, we thought, what can we offer people that they're not going to learn somewhere else? So that's why when we started off doing kind of a lot of savoury pastry and old school technique, we realised we'd found that. And um, teaching people these kind of techniques that aren't widely found in kitchens nowadays uh, gives us a sort of edge over other people, I think. And uh, yeah, and and it's a beautiful restaurant. Why wouldn't you want to work in it, right? <laughs> and it, it, on that point, it does seem to me that you have a really strong identity in your food. A lot of the menus that I've read, it seems like it has a really, really strong sort of sense of this is what my food is. Was that sort of a a, a for you know you had that idea, or was it like a natural process? I think it's just getting older, right? It's like. You know, it wasn't, wasn't that long ago that I was kind of second-guessing myself as a chef about, you know, is what I'm doing cool enough? <laughs> am I, you know, am I doing the right thing? You know, all these guys are cooking over open fire and they have loads of cool tattoos and stuff. And <laughs> I was like, that's not me, right? And there was a point where I, I was working with a guy here at the hotel he was the sort of like big boss of the hotel. <clears throat> we were talking about another hotel which was being built around the corner. And it had been it was in the process of being built for two years at that point. And I brought it up to him and I just said, you know, how do you feel about this hotel opening? And he looked at me kind of dead in the eyes and just said, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I knew he did. I knew he knew exactly what I was talking about. But what his point was, you know, don't pay attention to what other people are doing. Don't worry about what those guys are doing. Just focus on what you enjoy doing and focus on your business and everything will be good, right? And he was right and it really stuck with me. And so I just kind of looked at the things that I enjoyed and what I thought fit in our restaurant and our kind of guests that we have and everything just fell into place from then. And I was, yeah, and that was it really. And, And... be yourself, right? I wondered, what I've asked you to do today is come up with five favourite dishes and it's your menu. I wondered how easy you found that process. To be honest with you, really easily. Yeah? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, the only thing I found difficult was choosing five things that weren't all encased in pastry. <laughs> <laughs> because I, I was a little bit sort of like, yeah, that's going to happen. It's heartburn, but no, yeah, exactly. And then I looked at it and I was like, no, actually, I mean, one of the big things that kicked it off for us here at the restaurant was uh, our scotch egg. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's a tough competitive market, and to kind of get heard above the crowd and and to get yourself known uh, is is getting tougher. And we won the scotch egg competition in London in 2015 I, I heard about that yeah and it was a big deal for us it at was. the time it was, you know you get a lot of press off it and uh, it was weird we were, you know it's like Danish TV crews turning up the next week and stuff 
over an egg wrapped in meat. I was going to say, uh, how, how did they know about what a Scotch egg was? Can you tell us about this Scotch it's, egg? It's, it's Osh who organised the competition. He's like PR beast. <laughs> but um, I just, yeah, I, for me it was it was a nice recognition for us sticking to our guns and concentrating on technique and simple ingredients cooked well, uh, good ingredients and. And it paid off for us in that competition. Do you know that was the first time that I actually heard about this restaurant because they were talking about it on the radio. Yeah, I was right. listening to Absolute, and one of the presenters was saying, "I've been into the Holborn dining room because they won a Scotch egg competition." Yeah, uh, yeah, I was inviting anyone. Uh, still waiting for Danny Baker. To turn up. No, it was yeah. I mean. It was a sort. That was a little moment of clarity for me. Like if you just do, if we do exactly what we were planning to do and stick to it, you know, we. This is something we talked about recently. We have never in the history of this restaurant sat down and said to each other, "What do we do to win a Michelin star? Mm-hmm. How do you know? What do we do to please inspectors for this guide for that guide? Um, all we've done is just concentrate on cooking the best food that we can." And uh, when that happened with the Scotch Egg competition, I know it's not winning a Michelin star, but for me, I was happier with it. Right? It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, if if something like that happened down the line, it'd be great. But it's definitely something we haven't aimed for or planned that. You know, and there's something quite special about a Scotch Egg when it's done right, though. Yeah, I think so, <laughs> and it's part of our food history, and that's something I'm very much interested in. Um, you know, it's. There's a very poor opinion of British food across globally, and uh, it's hard to shake. I think mm. it's gonna, and it still will be. It'll always be hard to shake. Um, if you talk to anybody from pretty much any country about what do you think, you know, uh, what would be your thoughts on British food? And they'd be, you know, like stodgy, sort of boring, grey. And there's so many things in it that are to celebrate, and our produce now is something that's celebrated across the globe, and that needs to be pushed further by our government, I think. But um, that's a whole other story. <laughs> when um, your name comes up, and I'm glad you said about the pastry thing, because I, I never want to box in a chef. I never want to say this is mm. this is what you do. This is what you're good at. Carry on. But a lot of people will say about the pies yeah, and absolutely. the things that you make because they are so special and they look very special where where did that sort of fascination and that idea sort of come from um when i was younger in kitchens i always saw uh uh, you know different sort of glimpses of that sort of work throughout different kitchens and uh i remember seeing one chef uh as a a rather scary looking zimbabwean chef (laughs) Do the most stunning salmon on crew you've ever seen. Just beautiful. And doing it in a sort of really old-fashioned, hardcore deck oven, not an electric or, you know, new, new oven. And, and that fascinated me, the sort of craft that goes into certain dishes. And the idea of if you kind of skip on any step in one of those dishes... There's anything you do that's not quite right, you can't flatten it out later on. Mm. There's a lot of cooking you can. You can you know, add stuff to it as you go along or change temperatures as you go along. But with that sort of work, every step is important as the other or the final result won't come out well. 
and yeah I find that really interesting I'm kind of um, I get obsessive about things <laughs> right I get obsessive about design and that very much so outside of work um, when I'm kind of walking around London looking up and looking at buildings and architecture the other day actually I was looking through a what's it called like a kaleidoscope mm-hmm. is it oh, yeah, yeah. It's this sound. This will sound really weird. I was looking through it for so long, looking. Just for, happened to have one at look, hand. No, so we bought one for my nephew. For yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm actually going to buy one now. But, um, and I was looking, and I was trying to find a design that I thought would be interesting to put on a pie, just because I randomly looked through it. And it's like I just scoped pie. But yeah, so everywhere I'm looking, I'm looking for things that kind of interest me. Like in this, you know, when we look up at the ceiling here. Um, you can see that sort of design in here, and yeah, I do that in churches and things like that when we're sightseeing, and yeah. Design's really important to me. <laughs> and kaleidoscopes. Kaleidoscopes as well. Yeah. I, I wondered uh, on, a, on a really sort of simple, basic level, if there's something, I think in a particular, I've made like beef wellingtons and stuff in the mm. past, and you obviously, you can't see it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And I wondered if there's something sort of, in, it's like a bit of a challenge, isn't it? Because you literally, other, you know, you touch, you can smell it, you can feel it, but you can't break into that pastry and see how, well the meat's cooking and yeah absolutely so that's yeah, we call that the cut through and uh, that's a really exciting moment and I always kind of I, I've never met a chef who wasn't excited at that moment I mean, you can be scared but also excited <laughs> um, and it's a real typical trait of a chef to cut things too early because you're so excited about seeing how it looks but um, yeah I mean that's a big deal for me so what is on the inside is is equally as important as what's on the outside but also the pastry thing it's that old school technique Mm -hmm. right it's looking after those techniques and passing them on to the next generation because um, they'll be lost otherwise Mm. I mean in this country not not too long ago people weren't doing it Mm. or very few places were doing it and now there is this sort of little resurgence of the skills I think um, which is super cool would you be able to talk me through your, your next dish on, on your menu? So, yeah, the pâté en croûte that we do. I'm sure I've not pronounced that right. That's <laughs> a London pâté en croûte for you. That's fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this was going back two years ago now. It's summer two years ago. And uh, this is an old building we're in. It's 100 years old. And there's a store in the basement that has lots of old equipment. And I was in there sort of searching for something or other and I saw these very old school kind of antique pâté en croûte moulds and to be honest with you at first I didn't know exactly that they were pâté en croûte moulds I thought it was a bread mould or something and um, brought one upstairs and uh, showed it to the, the senior team and, was, and by this point I'd worked it out and was like right guys who knows how to make pâté en croûte no one did out of 35 of us so I was like well this is a gap in our knowledge so we should we should yeah. work this out and that kind of kicked off a lot of this old school pastry work that we do and um, yeah I look back at some of the first ones I did and they're shocking uh, <laughs> and uh, and it's I was thinking about this this morning what we've done is, is weirdly weirdly sort of gone back in on itself so when we first started off it was very simple the pâté en croûte that we made um, was just a farce inside the pastry with a jelly on the top 
And then over the last two years, it's got more and more complicated and more detailed to the point where some of the processes that we put into the one that's on the menu at the moment take two days to do. So the boudin that we make in the middle, that's a two-day job for one person. Yeah. Right? Non-stop for two days. That's incredible. Um, yeah, and, it's, and then that's to make a sausage, which is mad. <laughs> but, so I was, do, I was thinking about this the other day and I was like, you know what, we should actually kind of go back again and, and simplify things and focus more on the most important part, which is the fast inside. So making sure it's emulsified properly so it's juicy and uh, little tips I've picked up over. I was talking to uh, a guy, Daniel Calver, in Hong Kong. We were doing pate en crete together out there. I, w- I was visiting and I went to his kitchen and we were, we were old friends and we were doing it together. And he said to me, yeah, you know, when I worked for Thomas Keller, in all of these things, we used to put a lot of chicken liver and it kind of makes everything moister. Moister? Oh, God, that sounds That's terrible. Uh, juicier. Like, juicier. It's juicier. So, like, little chips like that that I get from speaking to other chefs uh, always kind of brought me back to going simpler on it again, focusing on that. So we've got a new one coming, which I'm really excited about, a duck pate on crew, uh, and that will be on February the 1st. But, yeah, it's something that we've got fairly known for here. Um, there's a world championship of pate and crew uh, in France, like the World Series. So you're going for it's that pretty much just French chefs. And I, you know, I was having a chat with another a chef of a big hotel in London recently, and said, you know, we should all get together and do skill set training together and pass on what we know to each other, and, and really have a good go at that competition. Not satisfied with just taking the Scott check. Now you're going for the pate and crew. Yeah, I never was into competitions before, though. You know, and it was like. I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, it's something to do with the attitude of certain chefs towards not sharing information mm. with each other. Pushes me on with stuff like that. I really want uh, to create competition with dishes as well as, you know, potentially going and entering them because I think it pushes you further. Mm. And um, that's a big deal for me. So if, if I'll happily go to another restaurant and show them everything we know on how to do one knowing that in a few weeks time they'll probably be making one that challenges ours and then yeah. that has to make us do better um, I know it sounds a bit yeah, no, it's, a, it's, a re- it's a good way of pushing yourself on because yeah. especially when there's not that many places like you mentioned that are doing comparable things mm. you have to you're almost like inventing the competition yeah it's ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> Have you just realised now that that's a stupid idea? No, it has crossed my mind loads of times. <laughs> I, I remember um, looking on your Twitter account and posting up one of the one of the dishes that you'd been working on, mm. and I remember you saying something like, "Oh, it doesn't look that great right now. Please bear with me." And I remember thinking, "That looks absolutely amazing." <laughs> Why are you yeah, saying yeah. it doesn't look that but great? I like, yeah, I like to post things in process so people can understand the amount of work that goes into getting something from A to B and for us to be happy with it because it is a huge process and it's a lot of people working on something at one point and and I think and I always get messages from people saying that that they love the fact that they see where we started and where it finished and yeah so that's kind of why I do that we did that we were cooking in Las Vegas in December and I wanted to do this dish 
which is like a, a sea bass on crew. It's kind of a classical French dish. And um, we just got it right in time for Vegas. And that was a lot of working through the night. And um, there were a lot of night kitchen porters that were eating wild bass on crew every night <laughs> until we got <laughs> Lucky it right. Buggers. But uh, and I remember the first ones looked phallic. It was weird. It was like trying to get that right. On your insistence. Yeah. And then, you know what? When we did it in Vegas, they were kind of blown away by it, which was so cool. Um, but it's, yeah. And that's, I, I'm not afraid to show that, you know, when I start these things off, I might not know how to yeah. do it. I think that's important as well. And may, that encourages people to try new things. I suppose it's easy for yeah for people like on the outside to just assume it all comes so naturally to you and you're going down there and within five minutes you've sussed it out. And, yeah. But you're still figuring out the best ways of doing these things, as you've mentioned. Yeah, and that's because of people's quite often resistance to sharing information. Like, I've never gone and worked for you know one of these uh, charcutiers in in Paris and learnt these tricks and so we are kind of starting from scratch but I I also think that's a positive thing because we're not always following these old school techniques 100% we might find a better way of doing it might not and quite often we we do get you know someone will say to me oh no actually if you just do it like this it's much easier and then you have like a light bulb moment like yeah we've been wasting our time for weeks doing this. <laughs> um, but yeah I, I think that whole process is important of finding a way and also we create our own style completely by doing it right? would you be able to talk me through your, your next dish on your menu sure so uh, it's the pativier our grouse pativier so the sort of history of this dish was uh, I, I love cooking wild game I love the game season. Um, something really cool that happens here in the UK. Um, and the first year we opened Holborn, I put grouse on in the sort of very traditional chef way of serving the whole bird with the feet and claws still on it. Um, you know, the, the liver on pate, uh, pat, liver pate on toast. And uh, I don't know. It's a, that is a chef thing. Mm. You know, not every guest is going to appreciate seeing a sort of, like, gnarly foot on their plate <laughs> clawing at them. So the second year, I said, look, let's uh, make it a little bit more sort of friendly, that dish. <laughs> so we trust... And we'll just send the bird in yeah. live. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they can run around the room. So, no, I mean, we, we trust it this time. So, we you know, we trimmed it down a bit. We made it look a bit neater and prettier um, and then I walked past someone in the restaurant once trying to carve the bird whilst having a business meeting and the bird was sort of the wrong way round they were trying to cut through it horizontally whilst it was on the bone and instead of being like what an idiot my reaction was this doesn't come naturally to everybody mm. so we have to think about this again mm. right so the third year I said, let's do the whole bird, but let's do it in a way that someone can sit there and enjoy their lunch and be able to hold a conversation. Still looks pretty, uh, and it just makes the whole experience more enjoyable. And that's where the Petivier came from. So we put the entire bird into essentially a pastry case. So it's the confit legs, 
a mousse made of the liver and heart and a little bit of breast. We put a little bit of chicken into that so it's not too strong. So there's that at the top and bottom, and in the middle you have the two breasts of the bird. Uh, there's jorols in there, thyme, and then that's all wrapped in spinach and then wrapped in pastry. And when you carve it, you get a real sort of beautiful cross-section. Um, and it's, yeah, it it's, catches people by surprise when they get it because it does look kind of very structured and pretty but has the whole flavour of a roasted grouse and without a gnarly foot staring. <laughs> I wonder if you found that, again, like mentioned, obviously the things that you're doing, what you're explaining there, is, it is elevated to a really high level, but I wonder if you found benefit in that everybody can recognise a pie. Mm. Everybody can remember like a really great warming, filling pie that they've had, yeah. and then here they can have it at that next level. I wonder if you found like you kind of benefited from that. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, I don't, I don't often meet people that don't like pies. <laughs> it's bloody wonderful. It's, it's fairly true, right? And you know, the people that I have met, they're not around anymore. So you know, <laughs> that's I've, what I've come down from the north. Yeah. We, we live on pies up there. No, I just think uh, it's especially in this culture it is a sort of warming childhood memory right so yeah you can then take that little notion of the memory and then convert you know the the product itself into something really pretty and 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 skilled work Um, but that it's still there so Mm. when people eat it it still sends them to that little place and I think completely subconsciously as well which is great I know we've spoken about things like you say like sort of cutting into it and having that reveal moment oh my god it's cooked it looks perfect but I wondered so what else like really satisfies you about cooking you know when you've put a dish down and you go yes that you know what are the elements that have made it into a, a good dish that you're happy with I mean look we most chefs I think 99.9% of chefs get into this industry because they see the effect of good food making people happy right it's it's what it's the moment you do you kind of watch a table eat a new dish i have a little pillar that i hide behind in the restaurant <laughs> it's a marble pillar that I <laughs> and on. jump out at people yeah. i'm not allowed to do that anymore i'm going to travel no, just for a laugh i you know if i'm sending something new out to the restaurant for the first time i'll kind of stand there and just watch the reaction of the person eating it or the people eating it stands in your flasher mac at the back with a hat on and <laughs> yeah like i said i'm not allowed to do that anymore i'm not allowed to be within 50 yards of a mac anymore um, but it's like yeah it's that moment of seeing people happy and knowing that all that work that you put into something has done that and you know even when we stood around the past and we were tasting something together and you get that moment where in unison everyone's like yeah that's it we've nailed it Mm. and everyone's happy then that's it that's all that matters I'm happy with that I mean if I get paid as well that's like a massive bonus but it it must it you know the the uh, the presentation side of things mm. it's got to be a, a little bit more difficult would you say uh, sorry like, what do you mean what do you mean well I don't, there's something in my head that may the skill that you have in you know carving into the into the pastry and making mm. it all very beautiful that that's uh, I feel that's a little bit harder to to execute than kind of deconstructing dishes and it's yeah. do you know what I mean yeah I see that um but I think, I mean, something I encourage here is the creativity in that, right? So 
if we're doing something new, a new pie or a new large pâté en croûte or something like that, I'll say to everybody, go away and work on something yourself. Come up with something. And, and I see each chef's little individuality on, on those dishes. So that's quite easy to encourage. Right? And I say to the guys, do not look on Instagram. Do not go searching for other people's work. I want you to go home, think about it yourself, come up with something. And that's how I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm coming up with a new dish, I will block myself off from social media. I don't want to see other people's food um, for at least an hour. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I no, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it comes... I don't. Th- I don't think we struggle to find that in this mm. kitchen, which is lucky. It just shows the talent that I'm working with mm. the guys around me, and it shows your talent as well. Yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe. Come on, there's no need for humbleness. But, it, yeah. it's, it's obviously a skill that you've got. Like, like I mentioned, just looking at the in conception dishes, and I'm like, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, but it's practice too. You know, it's just keeping on chipping away at things and, and being critical about everything why do you do it like this why did this not work last time why is it when you you know on certain benches when you roll the pastry out that the corners not quite meet properly you know there's lots of funny little things that you pick up along the way that just make things easier and faster and because of the volume here of the restaurant we're doing things on a, a large scale at speed all the time you know and mm. I say that to the, the young chefs in here quite often there's not many restaurants that are doing that sort of pastry work with these numbers mm. and making bread and doing this, you know, this and that. Um, so they should all be proud of themselves that they can do that and, and at, at speed as well. But then I wonder if if you are constantly sort of looking for the, the weaker elements, say, of a menu, if you can ever actually look back and you go, do you know what, we got that and we got it right and it was a good dish and everybody loved it. No, I never. <laughs> no, I'm always looking at. I'm always looking at it and thinking. There's, there's always a way of improving something. I mean, I've never looked at something and thought, yeah, we've nailed. Like, not 100 percent is perfect ever. Really? No, 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 no. There, there'll always be something that bugs me. Is that just like a chef's mentality? Then, do you think? Maybe I, I'm a sort of fidgeter. <laughs> like I. Uh, I can never be 100% satisfied. Even if I'm cooking at home, sometimes I'll cook and then I just don't want to eat it. I'm like, no, it's not exactly how I want to. I don't know, it's like... But I think that that's a good sort of uh, weird trait to have. Are you hard to please? No, not at all, actually. If if someone's cooking for me, it's it's a huge, you know sort of gesture and I'm really happy with that and, and I, I don't like it when people say to me oh you know I'm scared of cooking for you that's why we don't invite you around for dinner lot, yeah. yeah and then, you know I know that the actual reason you don't invite me around for dinner is because I'm just strange but <laughs> it's like you know, I didn't want to say yeah. <laughs> no but you know, you know and so I'm super happy whenever anyone cooks for me um, and I'm lucky that I have lots of friends that are great cooks as well so yeah, I probably lead a sort of luxury food <laughs> lifestyle. Talk me through your, the fourth dish on your menu. So, uh, mutton pie. So this is kind of one of the pies that we've cooked here at the restaurant. Um, it's different reasons why this means a lot to me. Um, one of them is where, kind of where the dish came from, which was 
holiday in New Zealand last year. So we're driving around New Zealand and they have a big pie culture there. And we stopped at a motorway service station, me and my fiance, and ordered a pie at this kind of motorway petrol garage sort of thing. And it was terrible. It was like soggy pastry, been sat in a sort of hot box for probably a few weeks. And, uh, but in its essence, it was a curried lamb pie. It was brilliant. It was a ghetto. Everything about it was fun. And I was like, yeah, we should try and recreate this when I get back into London. Um, but do it our way. Right? So get a great ingredient in there, get some great pastry skills on there. Um, so what we did was we went back. Um, the other day, just sorry, this is the main reason it means a lot to me, is because I got engaged that week, actually. Nice. So it always takes me back there. You put the ring in the pie. That was yeah. what I particularly liked. <laughs> in the soggy ass pie. <laughs> no, uh, so no, it's, that's, it always brings back a sort of lovely memory for me. But we, um, yeah, so I got back to London. I said to the chefs, right, this is what we're doing. We're going to do this uh, mutton pie, uh, like a lamb pie. And then we said, no, no there's one we use mutton. It was like a much stronger flavour. It'll stand up mm. better to curry. Um, so I worked. I find it goes a bit sort of softer as well than that yeah, sometimes. Absolutely. And I think. The, the one that we use has been dry aged for us in Cornwall by our butchers down there and it again it's a little bit softer because it's been dry aged uh, the flavour's got that real kick to it and then we worked then on that curry recipe inside and then the next stage was the the pastry itself so I wanted to do a lattice on the top now if you do you know a lot of lattice work on in a, in a pastry section that you generally use a roller cutter which is a sort of imagine like a paint roller you, you roll across the pastry and it leaves the little cuts in but I could not for the life of me find one small enough for the detail that I wanted on the pie so for you know weeks and weeks and weeks I was searching online and um, nothing so I was like well solid we'll just do it by hand and I remember the, the moment I said that to the sous chefs and they were kind of stood there looking at me in, in disbelief at the thought that we were going to be stood in a fridge with a ruler <laughs> and a tiny knife cutting these out every day. And I was like, yeah, but this is what will separate yeah. this pie from another pie, right? It's that little attention to detail. And uh, actually, as soon as we started doing it, we got into the swing of it and now it's, you know, it was completely just part of the day. And... Um, Oh, it is probably still ridiculous that you stand in the fridge and do it. I probably could have had a cutter made by now. But I, yeah, I'll do it if I have to. But um, there is that thing, isn't there, in sort of, you know, you, you're taking res- response, you know, it's, it is by, by you, mm. if you see what I mean. That, and yeah, that, yeah. that adds a little bit of specialness, I think, or quite a lot of specialness. Yeah, I think so. And it stops something being generic, right? Mm. And uh, yeah, and the last thing with that dish was I was like, you know, what, what would really make it a proper British pie now is if we put a chip shop curry sauce with it on the yes. side. And, and yes. that's what we did. And it's 100% sort of like that ghetto, almost <laughs> vinegary curry, curry sauce you get from a fish and chip shop. Oh, God. Um, and it eats really well with a pie. And I tell people if they have the pie, have chips with it. Mm. And then you're going to have curry sauce and chips as well. And I like Bang. that, you know, it's fun. It's like, um, I've never met anyone that, that hasn't enjoyed that element of it. I am um, one of the only really sort of recurring questions that I ask, and I, and I think it's fitting here is how, uh, it's hard to phrase this in the right way, but it's how do you know when a dish is done? 
if you see what I mean. So how do you know that that pie is ready to serve in terms of ingredients, flavours? Yeah. I think uh, when the sous chefs ask me to stop. Right. When they're like, chef, that's enough now. We've, we've got... <laughs> I've got my compass, I've got my ruler, I've got my protractor, yeah, that's yeah. enough. Yeah, because I, yeah, I can get a little carried away with things. But also I'll try and step out of that and look at what fits for us as a restaurant mm-hmm. as well. Like We can do all of these things that are a little bit sort of wacky with the amount of work that goes into them, but does it work from a service point of view as well? You know, when, you're, when the restaurant's full and you're you know, absolutely raging on the pass you have to look at what we call the pickup of a dish as well the speed with which you can serve it as well so you have to take that into consideration mm. um, so yeah that's the less fun element of working out a menu <laughs> so that's the like yeah meh it, but yeah I mean you're, we're always pushing to, to still get, take those things forward and it, the more you push it the more you get used to it and then you just think well hold on three months ago we were telling ourselves that we couldn't do this well that's it and then, like you said about that example you know it's anything can be made possible if you try and with a bit of hard work and there's always a way <laughs> there always is a way <laughs> So before we come on to talk about your last dish, I wanted to get um, your ultimate sort of chef tip. Just one, it can be simple, can be complex. Just one thing that myself and the listeners can do just to improve our cookery. This is going to be really boring, but it's planning, right? It's like I spoke to someone the other day, and they told me they made a beef wellington, and it had all gone horribly wrong. It was on Christmas Day, and the first thing I kind of said to them was like, why the hell would you do a beef wellington on Christmas Day? It's so much work. Like, I, I, I could not imagine kind of considering that on Christmas Day. But it could have been really good if they planned it. So if they thought about, you know, a few weeks before, uh, doing some of the stuff the day before would have made everything on the second day a lot easier. And I, I do that. If I have a Sunday off work... I'm thinking on the Monday about what I'm going to cook on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. Even like, you know, making sure that you buy the right ingredients because quite often you'll go out to the supermarket with this idea in your head of exactly what you're cooking and you get there and they don't actually have it. And then it's like, wow, hold on. Maybe I can swap the pork for salmon instead. And it doesn't work. And, I, you know, I just think it's that little bit of planning get an idea of what you want to do do a bit of research online and uh, you'll end up with something a lot better than you know if you just kind of rushed it Um, I did a beef wellington once and it took me three days and and it came out quite nicely there you go you (laughs) see I mean the one that we do here yeah it's a a three four day process three hours right (laughs) yeah which is why I mean we do it on Wednesday night here at the restaurant and um I, I quite often say it's one of my favourite things to make. It still is the process Fantastic of doing dish, it. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and it's again, it's one of these things in our sort of national food identity. We should be super proud of. Um, I every single one I serve on the pass, I'm proud that we're serving it, and uh, and we don't charge a lot for our one. That was another big kicker for us at the restaurant. I said when we first did it, you know, let's not charge forty quid a head for it. I, I think that's elitist and I, I like the idea of people coming to London and trying, being able to try one of our traditional dishes and going away going, 
bloody hell, British food's not that bad, yeah. actually, you know, so... Uh, we will continue to lose money on beef <laughs> every week and, you know, until my boss sacks me. Like, one of those. Just every now and again, just add like a couple of quid on. It's fine. Nobody will notice. <laughs> <laughs> Would you talk me through uh, your last one? Yeah, so I've done dessert for my last one. Nice. So um, this is something that we came up with last summer. And uh, I talked to the pastry chefs. So I, again, I have like a very young team of pastry chefs. We don't have... Uh, you know a sort of uh, 30 40 year old pastry chef in there coming up with everything what I do is speak to the young guys in our team and say you know this is my idea for a dish you know we've got a month now or two months now to work on it and then we just trial it every single day until we get it right and this dish I said to them I want to do jelly and ice cream (laughs) And they were just like, really? (laughs) Is that all you've got? Come on, chef. And I was like, if you're thinking about it the wrong way, right? So jelly and ice cream, like we touched on before, is one of those childhood dishes. And, uh, you know, a lot of our clientele here at the restaurant are, are lawyers from around this area. And if you can take that little lunch break that they have and send them back to that sort of happy childhood place with Mm. the dessert... It's priceless. And also, we can still make it really nice. I'm not just talking about putting a you know, ball of ice cream with some jelly. Um, so we worked hard at that dish, and it was kind of prime strawberry season when we first put it on. So I said, look, let's do strawberries, elderflower, and cream. So we ended up making an ice cream sandwich, which was kind of sandwiched between uh, like a rolled puff pastry that we sliced very thinly, and then bake as a disc, which has a very posh French name, which I never <laughs> remember. I have like a mental block on most posh French names. I don't know why. Um, so yeah, we had this mascarpone ice cream sandwiched in that, and then we set an elderflower jelly in a dome with a really beautiful English strawberry in the middle, and that sat on top. And then when you looked at it, it kind of looked like a snow snow globe, I guess, and it wobbled and the jelly magnifies the strawberry so it looks massive um, I put a little bit of uh, English sparkling wine in there as well and it, it just ate really well it was tasty, it was fun it pissed off all the people <laughs> that said to me, oh jelly and ice cream because then they looked at it and were like oh yeah actually this is super cool and what I like as well is you put like a hairnet on and people have to come up with a tray and yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're at the school canteen I do that all the time yeah <laughs> So, no, I, yeah, I think that those dishes are fun. I enjoy that. I'm going to ask you maybe to make Sophie's Choice and pick one of these dishes that you we're going to put on our day's specials board, if you like, mm. which is your your favourite dish of the five. Uh, I'm going to go with... Oh, that's tough, man. I'm sorry. I don't know. Uh, for me, the scotch egg. Yeah, I mean, it goes right back to the start, really early in the restaurant. Uh, like I said, you know, something that kind of puts on the map, and yeah, and I love a scotch egg. Listen, when you come into these things, you, you never quite know what to expect. Obviously, we haven't met before today. Uh, I haven't stopped laughing throughout the interview. I've really loved listening to your dishes. Thank you. Uh, and your talent is just is so obvious. And thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much to our sponsors, Suvitools.com. Make sure to check out their website 
as their range includes not just sous vide, but vacuum sealers, smoking guns, food dehydrators, barbecues, and much, much more. And don't forget, there's a special discount code, the pass, which is all one word, all in capitals, and that will allow you for special discount to all the past podcast listeners. Thank you very much for listening, and please check out our exclusive series, our exclusive episodes that are going to be going up soon at suvtools.com. And while you're there, have a little browse.